welcome to Conversations with Achievers. I'm your host, Robert Wright. I'm a mentor to owners, executives, and their teams, and CEO of Extraordinary People, LLC. I work with people that want to create extraordinary business performance with less stress, more joy, and more personal fulfillment. So sit back, relax, and prepare to learn from your peers as we explore what it takes in terms of attitudes, habits, and behaviors that achieve extraordinary results. Results for yourself, for your family, and your community. Hello, Robert here, and uh, time for another Conversations with Achievers. Our Achiever today is Brent Cooper, uh, both a CEO and an author, and uh, someone that I've been looking forward to be in conversation with. I think I think uh, you'll enjoy it also. Brant, welcome to uh, our little show. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having. Thanks for having me. You know, we we're just chatting about the uh, relative uh, beauty of uh, our respective locations, uh, Colorado and Southern California, and one of my favorite areas, the the San Diego area. I haven't been there for a long time because my children, and there's my excuse, Brent, uh, I was there because of the zoo, right? you know, and SeaWorld, yes. and uh, <laughs> and also, uh, you know, I, my friend Tony Robbins had an office near there, and, and uh, I did some observation work on his work, uh, so I was there a couple of times for that reason. I haven't been there yes. for years, so I need to come back, maybe come back as an adult to go to the zoo. Uh, you know, I, there, it, the zoo in some ways is more uh, enjoyable as an adult because that's a big zoo. That's a lot of walking for little ones. Yes, yes. Uh, my main memory, though, was uh, having uh, dinner with the late jo Dr. John Jones. Uh, he escaped. I'm trying to think of the name of that uh, famous weight loss clinic. He would go to the weight loss clinic and then sneak away for Mexican food. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it did occur to me that he was uh, somewhat negating the effect of this expensive week. <laughs> well, that's not, it's not fair to have weight loss, uh, you know, right next to all of the great Mexican food. That just seems like that, that's yeah, an advanced, yes. that's an advanced course right there. <laughs> yes. But I, I remember that, uh, uh, one of my daughter's friends came with her, and you know how kids like to have a friend with them, and and they had a kind of a Chili's eating contest before dinner. Uh, wow! Which I, I just didn't expect that from. I think they were eight and eight years old or so. And yeah, I did. It took took me a while before I would eat those. I actually am growing some pretty hot ones in my yard right at the moment. Okay. Uh, I avoided the contest. I must admit, <laughs> I did laugh a lot. So that's great. Hey, yeah. could you introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, uh, what are you up to, and where have you been, and how did you get to this exalted state of life? Oh, well, if if it is that, uh, so yes, uh, Brent Cooper. I'm CEO and founder of a company called Moves the Needle. Basically, what we do is bring an entrepreneurial spirit to very large organizations. So we build the capabilities. Uh, for dealing with uncertainty. And of course, uncertainty could be anything from launching a new product to uh, to trying to launch existing products into new emerging markets. Uh, anywhere where there's uncertainty could be operational, inside process. 
but they tend to big companies, as you know, they they're successful, so they tend to get into execution mode, which is great. Uh, that's allowed them to get big and be successful. Uh, but then they they sort of lose that ability to deal with uncertainty. And I guess uh, you know I've written this book uh, came out in November 2021 called Disruption Proof. And the idea there is that we're living in this new world, this digital age that is just fraught with uncertainty and complexity due to the interconnectedness of the world and the speed of information and the speed of disinformation. Things that used to happen all the time all over the world now affect everything, right? They ripple across our economies and our businesses from ransomware to uh, supply chain issues, uh, inflation, uh, you know, the big quit, uh, you know, so keeping employees engaged, pandemics, these things are affecting our, our business on a more regular basis now. And so we really need to build that exploration muscle, not just the, the execution side. So that's really what I've been teaching and preaching for the last uh, 10, 15 years or so. You sound a bit like a little bit of amateur psychology is involved here. <laughs> well, I think there's there's always I mean, in business, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of psychology. And I think any, anyone like me that weighs in in on that, that you must preface that with with amateur psychology. But sure. Right. I mean, I think that leaders got to where they were because they were able to figure out a blueprint and execute that blueprint. So what happens what happens when the blueprint is changing all the time, right? The, the old the old saying is, is the definition of insanity is doing things the same way and expecting different results. So yeah. what if you're doing the same thing and you're actually getting different results? What's that called? I mean, that's just, that's a different world. We have to learn how to adapt the way we manage and structure work for that, for that world, in my opinion. You know, the uh, thing that occurs to me quite often is that we're all kind of educated for the past, but it's right. uh, it's challenging to deal with a very fast-changing current reality and future. Uh, That's right. And, and we could have a tremendous uh, past education, past experience, but the, the changes in technology, the changes in families, the changes in work patterns, uh, work culture, uh, it's it's a new challenge almost daily, it seems. Right. And to me, uncertainty like that and complexity creates opportunity, because if you're the one that realizes it and then go on that journey to learn what the new blueprint is and you're first, you know, that you've got that's a great competitive advantage. So if if everybody else is sitting on on their heels and you're out learning from customers and understanding needs and know what's changing in the environment and, and you can capitalize on that, then, you know, sort of more power to you, right? I'm curious with your clients, uh, do you find clients that are just kind of stuck on the the product or service that they're introducing and and not recognizing this, this uh, radically changing environment? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's, you know, we tend to focus, and this is really, it's kind of old school management principles, but we, we, we tend to focus daily on what we're doing and what we are doing. What are our tasks? I'm working on this product. I'm putting features into this product. And we don't look at what the desired outcome is and how do we actually experiment or figure out whether what we're doing actually results in the desired outcome. And so this is the trick, right? So I think the example I like to give is, if you're building a microwave oven in the 50s or 60s and you're introducing this brand new product 
that's going to raise the standard of living for people. And there's very little market risk. There's technical risk. Can we build it? There's operational risk. Can we build it at such a cost that the middle class can afford it? And if you could do those two things, the market's going to buy it up. It's just this brand new technology. It makes people's life better, simpler. But today, we pretty much know we can build stuff. We already have the technical acumen. And we also are pretty good at operational. So the risk is on the market side. And now what it matters is what are the features? What are the models? What are the colors? All of these things that are competing among just microwave ovens is very complex. And it means that we have to understand our customers at a whole nother level. We have to understand what their needs are, what their aspirations are. How do they see themselves? Do I need, have a designer kitchen? So I need a designer microwave. It just becomes very nuanced and the market segments are, are more niche market segments. And so we can't figure that out sitting around a conference room table. We have to get out there and engage with the customers and engage with the world in order to figure out what our competitive advantage is. You know, it's a kind of a bumper sticker, but truly the future is not the same anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. really, I, that's what I'm hearing from you and, and that people, if you're running a business and particularly if you're introducing anything new, Boy, it's it's that that word nuanced is cut. I think is a pretty important word, uh, and and having a sensitivity to that. You know, years ago, while I was living in Japan, uh, uh, a client asked me to work with a a, a friend of his in a, a different company, and uh, they wanted a motivational speaker. And I said, you know, we don't do that. You know, that's kind of short termish. And, uh, uh, but I knew some people, I knew some good people uh, who were motivational speakers. And I said, well, I'll meet with this guy and uh, I'll do a referral. You know, you do that, and yeah. you know, in business and in life. Uh, the company was called, uh, you and I would call it Hext. H, I think it's H-O-E-C-H-Y-S-T, something like that. Okay. Uh, the German pronunciation I learned is Herxt. And in Japan, their business was fine chemicals. I never knew there was such a thing as fine chemicals as a big distinction to, you know, you have a kind of a high school chemistry understanding right. of chemicals. Right. Well, fine chemicals, uh, I learned, uh, degrade very quickly. Mm. So you have to have enough on hand to satisfy a customer, but not too much that it attacks your profitability and, uh, and that they spoil. Uh, they literally degrade daily. Uh, and they were really having trouble with that issue. And particularly in Japan, a foreign company gets judged very quickly if you can't deliver your product. And uh, and they were running into that. And they had just bought, this was years ago, the IBM 360, pretty expensive, big hulking computer. They bought one and they bought a bunch of programming and the total investment was three or $4 million. And uh, I said, well, how's it working? You know, how's it, how's it being used? They said, well, we turn it on every morning at 7.30 and we turn it off at six. Yeah. I said, well, I, I know, but how do you use it? He said, that's it, that yeah. <laughs> the staff would not use it. And when we dug into it, it was resisting change. Even back then when change was at a slower pace than certainly than it is today. And, uh, but the Japanese staff and the German staff were at war and it was about their beliefs about, we always did things this way. Right. And you made this decision to spend these millions of dollars and get the, all of this com, this computer and all the terminals all over Japan. And, uh, but you didn't check with us. 
you know, <laughs> I, I, it's a great, it's a great point. It's, it's, uh, I have a similar story. Uh, we were working with a clothing manufacturer, uh, and they made high-end uh, outdoor gear, including uh, clothes for special forces. It's really fascinating. They actually make gloves that are in the shape of you holding a rifle, because if you were in the Arctic, yeah, you would be resisting the glove if you're trying to actually hold your rifle. So I had no idea, you know, I, it's why I love capitalism is that we have solutions for things like that. But so they invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in digital fabrication equipment. So digital cutters and digital sewers. And yet they didn't see this return on investment. What they were hoping to see is that they could get their bespoke uh, custom clothing. They could get the sampling time down from several months to days. And they saw none of the return. And it was because the design group was working with the manufacturing group the same way as before they invested in the technology. And so uh, a lot of the digital transformation that's going on in the big enterprises is much the same way. People focus on the technology, yet the people and the processes are the same. And so it's really that what we're teaching is really what is the mindset change that has to happen to go along with the technology change. And I think what's interesting about it is, you know, during the pandemic, COVID, the, the most successful companies tended to be digital companies. And a lot of the big enterprises look towards the digital companies, the Googles and the Amazons of the world, uh, because they sort of naturally have formed the way they manage work in a digital way rather than the old sort of industrial way. And so it's really, I think uh, it's really getting that mindset change from leaders that they actually have to look at how do we get the organization to live in this new world? And of course, it's 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 change that people are going to be resistant to until the until the bottom line, and then they do a reorg because they think the reorg is going to fix that problem. And they do reorganizations every two years because they haven't quite grokked what is the desired behavior that they need to reinforce in the new world. Wow, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Look, you're building a company, of course, and you've had an entrepreneurial background. One of the things that we've discovered my audience really finds value in is hearing stories of uh, the potholes in the road, times when things did not work for you, and then what you learned from that from, and recovering from that. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of enthusiasm for the work you're doing right now. I can feel it. I like it a lot. Uh, I look for that in, in the people that in my world. Uh, so, Brett, uh, have you had a time when things weren't working? And uh, what did you learn from that? Well, I think that, uh, you know, as a services-based company that, that does workshops and accelerator programs, and uh, the value of our work is, is way greater when we're in person. And so the company suffered quite a bit uh, during um, the pandemic. Sure. Uh, and so... Uh, and so even post pandemic, which I think we're, we can call it that now we're close enough. I think, uh, I don't think that the businesses, they our customers are returning to the same way of working as before. I think the last two years, it, there's a lot more DIY. In other words, companies doing it themselves, um, rather than investing in outside help. And, and I guess just a number of market changes. And so, uh, it, it wasn't just the pandemic, it's the changes that the pandemic brought to business. And so we're still figuring that out. And so we're in exploration mode and we're launching new services, which are all really experiments to see what catches on. And, we, and we're experimenting with 
with messaging and what is the sales funnel? How has that changed? And how do we hook people in and 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 uh, and bring them through our process? And how do we create value during our engagements? And so all of that, I feel like uh, I feel like we've launched a new business almost. We're really back in that exploration mode, trying to figure out what that new that new blueprint is. And it's uh, I don't know. I guess it's exciting in some ways because I think that's in some ways that's what entrepreneurs live for. But it's also you know it's not what the business was uh, pre-pandemic, and so that's uh, that's a struggle and and something that we're we're hoping we overcome. You've learned that new pattern that you're teaching others, right? That's right. Around have innovation. to eat my own dog food. Have to oh, eat my own dog food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate when I hate when that happens. <laughs> uh, Brent, uh, before the COVID hit, were you generally more location based, like California clients? Uh, actually, global. Some of our biggest customers were in in Europe. To be honest, uh, it, it, I guess I find with with uh, some of the European countries, they were they sort of taking the big organizational transformations more seriously than a lot of the domestic companies. Interesting. Again, I, yeah, I, I've like uh, uh, Roche in in Switzerland and ING, the bank in in the Netherlands, were were. Uh, we're really down the path of changing the way they worked. And a lot of it was driven by, you know, their C-suite or their boards even recognizing that the business is fundamentally changing. And of course it is with healthcare, life sciences, as well as, as banking. Um, I guess I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of companies look at those changes, they realize it, they grok it, but the, the change that they do is top down and it, kind of doesn't work because most workers are skeptical of that by now, right? I mean, these changes happen supposedly every couple of years. And really what you have to do is start with the, the, the bottom, the ground up and get the behavior change. And you're running experiment and you're eating the dog food while you're, while you're implementing the dog food. You're, you're, yes. yeah, you have to start small and try to find what works within your culture and what are the right tools and what are the issues that you can tackle those those operational issues that we just brought up are a great example. How can you get the design group to work differently with the manufacturing group? And that's a, a low risk project. You're dealing with uncertainty and you can actually practice the behaviors that you would use with customers or other stakeholders. Um, and so I really encourage, you know, your audience can start with this quite easily. It's, it's identifying some uncertainty inside the business that if you solve that uncertainty would have impact on the business and you spin up a team that is working part-time on solving that challenge. And they do that by interviewing and understanding internal customers, internal stakeholders, uh, uh, brainstorming solutions, running experiments to see which solution might work best before you scale it out, before you launch it. And just sort of building that into daily work will start, you'll start seeing a cultural change. I'm very confident. Uh, people feel more empowered. They get to exercise their creativity and their intelligence. So they're more engaged at work. They're happier at work. They feel like they're having an impact on the business. And so you can start small internally, see what works, double down on what works, and then you can start pushing it out to how you interact with customers and markets and, and, uh, and other stakeholders. A lot of wisdom in that approach. You know, I my background is primarily as a leader, and I, I often would say to people that I'm really not a very good manager. Uh, I've been blessed to be able to attract 
good managers into my company and cover for me, uh, I guess. Uh, but it's, in some of my work, I've found I actually, in, in working out with people on leadership, I have to include some management ideas. And along that route, I read this book by Gino Workman called uh, Traction. And in it, he has this idea that I realized that I had been kind of failing at this for years, which is allowing issues to persist. Mm. You know, that in every management meeting and every retreat we did, there was a certain group of issues that just kept coming up and we didn't solve them. And uh, I think there's a little bit more openness, I'm talking about my own example, but also with clients to get outside help with those persistent issues, with, with the patterns within their company. And it's kind of a blend between management and leadership, seems to me. Like, you know, you very quickly, you talked about specific changes, but you very quickly talked about the culture that results. Yeah. Right. I, I, because you need to, for the change to become permanent, it has to become part of the culture. And so I do think outside help can, can, it's invaluable, but I also, but the, the driving force needs to be internal. And I think one of the things that, that we do poorly, we tend to do poorly is quantify what the desired outcomes are. So we can, we sort of all know that we want increased revenues or increased profit margins or increased customer satisfaction or, or you know, lower operational expenses. But by putting a stake in the ground what those numbers actually are, we have a, a, a way to benchmark customer satisfaction and we're going to improve it by 20% by the end of the year. Now we can start defining whether the work is, is on the path towards what that objective is. And so instead of managing people about like, well, did you do those 10 things that I asked? It's, well, let's let's look at our benchmark and are our numbers improving based upon the work that we're doing? And the empowering part about it is, is that is that you say to the team, we're not making enough progress. I want you to figure out how we're going to make progress and then report back to me. And mm -hmm. so that's a way to delegate some of that authority. And again, it sort of exercises their creativity. They have to continue to check in with you, but you're, you're getting away from micromanaging and you're getting away from being only reactive. Uh, you're proactively empowering these people. You're teaching them how to behave as empowered people. And yet they report back to you. What it, it, It's very akin, to be honest, it's very akin to being an investor or an advisor in a startup. And so that's my background, or tech startups up in Silicon Valley. And investors are very savvy about establishing what are the metrics that measure the progress towards the desired outcome, not just the desired outcome. Desired outcome is revenue. Okay, well, what are the intermediate metrics that show that we're making progress towards hitting those numbers? And that's, that's you know, the, a lot of it really comes down to how you're incentivizing those people. So, and it goes way beyond how the uh, CEO or, uh, or the top team feels about things. Right. <laughs> and they can actually establish it with some numbers and uh, some, some uh, milestones that are either green-lighted or red-lighted, you know, uh, using right. that kind of metaphor. And some Ooh. of the dashboards show that. Uh, I think some of the better dashboards will show that. But it takes time and, and a real intention it seems to me, and it's not my strong area, you can tell I'm stumbling around here, but to set up that system that captures those numbers and then 
being honest about it, really, and uh, being I, rigorous about it. It's a I different think you're challenge. Right. It is a difficult challenge. And, and again, I, I find when I'm working with people that it often comes down to people want to measure what it is they're doing or what their teams are doing. And so being customer centric really means looking at it from, from the customer's point of view. And, and anytime we're trying to sell a product or service, we're asking people to change their behavior. Yes. They're doing things in a particular way. We want them to do it in a new way. And so the type of metrics that you can start using then, are they starting to, to work in a different way? And how many of them are? And what is the growth rate of getting people to start changing their behavior? And suddenly you can start imagining a metric or a dashboard that is telling us that month over month, we're improving those numbers. That means we're, we're tending towards what the desired outcomes are. Uh, which also gives you a chance to do some minor celebrations along the way. That's a great point. You know, Minor celebrations as well as, you know, little iterations. You know, you had a flat month. Well, they, they begs the question then, well, what can we do differently to jump the, start this in? What's, what's the obstacle that's stopping us from getting to the next level of growth or whatever the, the achievement is supposed to be? And so then that's brainstorming and you're running experiments again to try to figure it, see if you figured it out. And so that's what I... I sort of call that exploration behavior. Execution is when we know we're going to do this and it's going to have the same results. And exploration is, okay, we don't know anymore. I don't know, even as a leader. And so we're going to go into learning mode, exploration mode to figure out what that new blueprint is. And then we're going to go into execution mode again. You know, before COVID, was the majority of your work with clients face-to-face uh, -face, or were you using uh, something like Zoom or Teams or something like that be even before COVID? It was, was that a big really, change for you? Yeah, it's a big change. We were really all on site uh, and we had a distributed company. So I, I could pull in coaches that were more regional to our clients, but uh, my company was virtual with remote, but the work that we were doing with clients was almost universally on site. So big change the last uh, two years. Yeah, we ran an accelerator program for Roche in Switzerland. And so we were, you know, we, we met with them for several hours every day, which for us was night. So my team was staying up, you know, all through the night in, in support of uh, these clients that were overseas. So that was, that was the sort of thing that we had to do in order to, to keep that going remote. So this was the nice shirt or jacket and pajama pants. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Look, uh, if people uh, are interested in your book, your ideas, or just uh, want to uh, have an injection of your very positive energy, how do they connect with you? Yeah. So I, I really encourage people to reach out directly. I'm Brant Cooper on all social media. They can connect with me there. Uh, Brant at BrantCooper.com is a great email and I'll respond to all emails. A couple of websites to check out is maybe movestheneedle.com. That's moves, M-O-V-E-S, theneedle.com, as well as uh, startupbluebook.com, which is really for people that are beginning their entrepreneurial career. And uh, the latest book is Disruption Proof. And of course, that could be found all of your favorite uh, favorite bookstores. Uh, and uh, uh, talk about your book just briefly. I know we've got about a minute here. And uh, well, so why should people really, buy your book? 
Well, it's, a, it's really quite a bit what we talked about already. It's, it's, it's giving the reasoning why we need to change the way we manage and structure work. So it talks about this movement from the industrial age to the digital age, this idea that we're facing endless disruptions that are going to ripple across our economies and our business. And so we have to be able to build in this exploration work in order to take care of that uncertainty. And so long, uh, oftentimes exploration is, you know, the innovation team or that's for startups only. And with the new world of uncertainty, I, I firmly believe that we need to build that into our regular course of work. Wow. You know, I think a lot of people think along, a lot of business owners and, and executives, we think along those lines. We kind of know that, the, that those kinds of essential changes are needed. But quite often, it's just, it occurs to us. It's a thought. Right. And then it's we how go do you back build to it? doing, we yeah. go back to how doing do things the same way. Yeah, exactly. How do you build it into the business and and not only for yourself, but, but for the people that you manage your teams? Wow. Brant, this has been incredibly value. I've learned a lot. So that that's a uh, high value to me. And I hope that uh, I hope that our listeners today uh, feel the same way. I, I'll bet they do. Thank you again for investing the time, the energy, the effort and educating us about uh, 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 handling this rapid rate of change that we're all facing in our businesses and our families and our communities. Uh, yeah. It's incredibly valuable. Thank you. Thank anything you you'd like me. to anything you'd like to close <laughs> with? You've said so much. Yeah, well, I just uh, I I appreciate uh, I appreciate leaders like you that are 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 helping business leaders to to think about uh, ways of changing and and I just uh, you know my goal really my mission is to help people uh, be empower them to to be in control of their own economy and 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 the economy of 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 other people too as as business owners and leaders and so I think that. That's where freedom comes from, really. And uh, so your podcasts uh, are, are invaluable. And, and again, I hope to connect with uh, some of your listeners. Hopefully, uh, we'll do something again and do something together. Brent, thank you again. Thank you. All the best. Thanks so much for joining us for Conversations with Achievers. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for this weekly show, the details are at therobertwhite.com and click on podcasts. I'm looking for businessmen and women with a story to tell, stories that might benefit other owners and executives. If you got some value from this program, I'd really appreciate you sharing about it on social media and just mentioned www.therobertwhite.com slash podcasts. Of course, subscribing means you won't miss a show, and rating the podcast positively will leave Robert smiling. I'm building a movement here for leaders, leaders who want to succeed in business, succeed with their families, have fun, and contribute toward making the world a better place. It's special to me that you chose to listen. I look forward to connecting again next week. Remember, reach out to me anytime with any questions or concerns at therobertwhite.com. Bye for now.